Come on in, we're gonna get started in a minute or so. There is an ocean of grace, a love that will not run dry, will not run dry. There is a fire that burns, a love that will satisfy, you satisfy. All that we ever have needed is found in Christ. Glad to see you this morning. Welcome to Calvary Church. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we want to focus on the Lord and glorify Him. Would you stand, please? Would you say the scripture together? Our focus is on Christ. Philippians chapter 4. Let's speak it. Let's speak it together. All together? All right, here it comes. We want to focus on the Lord this morning. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Ready? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Let's focus on Him this morning and look to Him. Wandering for years in the desert, consumed by the lie that we pray, hopeless in need of redemption, you have made us. alive by your spirit be our one for us. 
it's his name that we exalt this morning. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus, Jesus. Sing to him. Who walks on the waters, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire. Savior and Shepherd, 
we glorify you this morning in our worship and how we invite your good work of healing and power and grace in our life today. Thank you for the privilege to be together as a church family, to be with you and in you and in Christ. May our worship be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remain standing, please, for God's word. Let's focus on Old Testament scripture. From Lamentations 3, 22 to 24. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Great is thy
and sing it. Thank you. Maybe see it. Praise God. All right. Good morning, Calvary Church. It is good to see you. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, awesome. I'm Eric Wakeling, and just privilege privilege to serve as your pastor up here with Paul Ninow, our elder, trustee, treasurer, esteemed, wonderful man. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm not be able to live up to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to set him up really high for anyway. Um, <laughs> We want to welcome all of you today and just uh, say thanks for being here. I want to welcome you. If you're a guest as well, uh, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, One way that you can take a step towards connecting more here is through a thing called the card. It's on the back of the seat there in front of you. We'd just love for you to fill that out. And in a moment when we uh, receive our offering, we'd love for you to drop that in there as your gift. But we also have a gift for you. If you come out to the connection point in the lobby, we have these uh, cool little mugs. We'd want to give you one of those and just help you kind of find ways that you can get more plugged in here at Calvary Church. So we want to welcome you. And then part of uh, why we have Paul up here is just love for you to give us a little bit of an update. We're approaching the end of our fiscal year here at Calvary, the end of this month. And yep. you can give us an update on how sure. things are going. Yeah, yeah. glad to do that. Um, I think first off, I wanted to express our thankfulness to uh, the congregation here at Calvary Church. We just sang um, Great is Thy Faithfulness a song ago, and I've had the opportunity to be involved in finances here at Calvary Church off and on uh, over many years, and it has been uh, really amazing to see how God works through Calvary Church, and clearly he is faithful to Calvary through the generosity of of, uh, you all, so we're very thankful for that. So, as the fiscal year end approaches here, I wanted to let you know we are uh, uh, just, we praise God that we are about 2% ahead of the giving this year from where we were at this time last year. So we're, we're grateful for that. Amen. At the beginning of the year, we set a goal, a budget goal, and we're about 2% behind that budget. Um, our expenses have been held right on budget. So at this point, we project with very little time left through the end of the fiscal year, we'll We'll end the year pretty much right um, on budget. Part of our budget includes a contingency, a goal that we want to um, reach, and we have some expenses coming up uh, later in the fall to replace some of the major components of the HVAC system here in the worship center. It's going to cause us to uh, draw down on our repair and maintenance reserves. So we would love to be able to replenish those reserves. So at this point, before the end of the year, we Um, are hoping and praying that we would be able to uh, get $125,000 of giving in the general fund. As well, we need a $35,000 of giving for the missions fund to kind of hit our budget goals that we set at the beginning of the year. So we would ask that you would pray for how you could be part of what God would do here to uh, close that gap here at the end of the year. Thanks. Thanks so much, Paul. And I want to say thanks to you and to the trustees that serve so faithfully and really helping make sure that, that we are being good stewards of the gifts that are given to us. And so we, again, say thank you to all of you. And it's, um, you know, I think kind of the bottom line of that is like we're making ends meet. And I think part of me is, hey, that's good, but I want to be excited about some other things, maybe more that God would want to do in us and through us here at Calvary. So I hope that you would be too. And some of that, we don't need any money at all. We can go out and share the gospel with people and see this place fill up with people. We don't need money to do that, right? And, and so that's like, I think, a big call on us. But also that 
hey, we'd love to be able to continue to see our campus be improved, to be doing things that we can do to kind of increase our outreach uh, and like help our school continue to do better, all sorts of things like that. And so I think that we've got a lot of ways that, yeah, we're doing well, but hey, let's see even what more God can do in us and through us. So we want to be praying for that, praying uh, even now the ushers will be coming forward. We're going to pray for our offering on this last Sunday of our fiscal year, and then also praying for the kids and people that are out and about. We just finished neighborhood day camp this week. It was a great week. Um, the middle schoolers got back from San Francisco, serving God in the inner city there, an amazing time that they had. Our high schoolers are still in Albania right now, so we continue to pray for them. And we pray for a group going to uh, Forest Home Family Camp uh, heading out uh, today. So we're just uh, grateful, but also praying for all of these works. And as our people go out and about, we want to pray for God's hand to be upon them. So let's pray for that together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Um, the way that you have provided, Lord, that you are faithful, God. And Lord, thank you, too, for uh, the people of Calvary Church answering that call to be faithful stewards of what you have uh, just entrusted to us in some crazy way, Lord, but we know that you own it all. God, I pray that you would give us continued wisdom on how we would use those finances to just further your kingdom, God. And I pray for all of those young people and adults that are out and about around uh, the world and around our area, God, that you would be working in them and through them to make great impact, Lord, either through them, but also in their own lives as well. So as we give to you now, Lord, we give with cheerful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. The silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus.
try it together. tremble at your great power and awesome glory. We do ask in your great name this morning for your presence and your power in us and through your word as we hear your message this morning. So Father, open the eyes of our heart and the ears to hear your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Again, you may be seated. Uh, it is uh, great to be able to uh, worship together and to worship together as a family. Uh, you know, even as, as we do that, as we worship together as a family, I think of families and sometimes families, everything's great. And sometimes in families, there's, uh, there's a lot of drama in families, right? And sometimes family stuff can even be a bit of a soap opera. And the day that, or the, the story that we're going to be looking at today in um, Mark 6 is definitely a soap opera as it gets. So I thought that this could be a good little uh, wake-up call for us as we think about what we're going to be looking at today. Check this out. This is our intro. So that's uh, not an endorsement of any of these shows, but our story today in the Bible is basically General Hospital on fire. Okay, it is crazy. This story we have today is wild, and it is the story and the soap opera of a family during the times of Jesus. And it's a story of this family with the name of Herod. Uh, They are big players in this story. If you've got your notes, you can pull it out. Um, You can see this that you see on the screen here probably in better detail on that paper there. Um, but this family is a, is a family that is a mess. And it's a family that's pretty confusing even when you're reading the Bible. Because when you're reading it, you'll see just King Herod did this, and then later King Herod did that. And then there's another King Herod way later. And you're thinking, hey, was this guy alive this whole time? And who is this guy? No, it's different people, okay? There are different people being talked about at these different times. Uh, But it starts with the person that maybe we most think about is this guy, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one when the the wise men, the magi, came to visit him. And then he went on to try and kill Jesus and killed all the, the kids in Bethlehem. That is Herod the Great. Herod the Great, though, is also known as the Great Builder. 
he built all of these amazing things. Now, he built means, I think, you know, he said, let's build this, and then other people did the work. But uh, he built Masada. These are all places you can actually go and visit today. Masada, this fortress on top of a mountain. He built the Herodium, which is a little self-centered name, right? The Herodium, as his name's Herod. But it was essentially, it's essentially he built a mountain and then a, a fortress inside the mountain. It's pretty astounding. He built Caesarea Maritime by the sea, this amazing palace and city by the ocean that he named after the emperor, Caesar. Uh, he rebuilt and built the Temple Mount itself. And you can, most of that is still what was built by him today. So this guy made this huge impact of things that, that he built and he did, but he built a family system that was a mess. These people were crazy. He had multiple wives multiple kids, some with even the same name, so it gets even more confusing. And so we've got a couple people in this story. We've got Philip. Now this is Herod Philip, is what you'd call him. And then Antipas is Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus. There's others. There's even another Herod Philip that it's kind of confusing even in scholarship of which one we're talking about when, and that's even included in today's story. But the one that's in today's story with John the Baptist and all that we're going to look at with him getting his head chopped off, just a little, not just foreshadowing, but giving the punchline away, but is this guy Antipas. Okay, Herod Antipas is King Herod in our passage today. And what, what happens here is, this is crazy, first of all, that Herod the Great has a granddaughter through another guy that, um, that, that her name is Herodias. So again, self-centeredness, right? Like that his granddaughter is Herodias. So this granddaughter marries Philip. That's gross, right? That's kind of weird to see your, your half-niece or something like that, okay? Now Herodias marries Philip, but she divorces Philip, which is against biblical Old Testament law. She divorces Philip. Now Antipas had been married to somebody else. Antipas had been married to this daughter of a king from a nearby land, and he divorces her. And then they actually go to war, these two nations together, and Antipas gets defeated. And people even thought it was, he was defeated in this war because he was going against God's law. So it's like crazy soap operas happening. Now what happens though then is Antipas marries Herodias, his brother's ex-wife. Okay, that gets even weirder, right? And so that's what we have going into the story, is that you've got this guy marrying his brother's wife, which is also his half-niece, and they're together. And John the Baptist had been speaking truth to power. John the Baptist was calling them out for all of this stuff that they've done. And it doesn't really end up too well for him. Uh, I forgot to show you another little picture there. That's uh, Tiberius. This is the town that Antipas, the character in our story, built and ruled out of, which is on the Sea of Galilee. So we head into then the beginnings of our story. So grab your Bibles if you haven't yet and turn to Mark Six, And we're going to start looking into this wild story in this Herod family. Now, just before verse 14, we look at verse 12, and it was the end of what Matt Doan preached on last Sunday, where Jesus is sending out the disciples to go and preach and to uh, perform these miracles. And that's what, in verse 12, it says, They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were doing all, they were casting out demons and healing people. And then verse 14 says, and King Herod heard of it. Okay, so he hears about these things the disciples are doing. 
And it says, and that's Herod Antipas on your little chart. For his name, Jesus' name is, had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he's Elijah. And others were saying, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And he thinks it's almost more like a ghosty kind of way, like coming back to haunt you, okay, is what people think. But that, that Jesus is now coming back to get his revenge because he is John the Baptist back from the dead. And so you've got this whole thing where people are talking about who is Jesus. And remember, that's the title of our whole series because it's this question that keeps being asked. Who is this man? Who is this person? And then people are trying to figure it out. Who is he? Um, have you ever uh, heard of the discussion about who is the goat? Who has never, doesn't understand what I mean when I say who's the goat? You think I'm talking about an animal, okay? All right, all right, this will be good. Goat equals greatest of all time, all right? That's a big discussion like in sports. Like in, uh, in sports, people ask, you know, who's the greatest? Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Who's the goat? It's that, that question. Who's the greatest of all time? We know it's Kobe. But, and um, then it continues that people... <laughs> um, sorry, John. I apologize, John Sherman, for that. Okay, he's upset with me. But I'll continue. Uh, but th- this kind of question where people like have these debates about who is this? Who is this? Is he the greatest? And in this time of Jesus, that's exactly what's happening where they're, they're saying all this. Who is this guy? Or who is the greatest? He's got to be, if he's so great, he's got to be one of these people come back. He's got to be either Elijah, who's come back. There was prophecies about Elijah in Malachi 4-5 that he would have to return before the, the end of times, before the Messiah would come. And, and so Elijah, this amazing prophet who spoke truth to power and ended up having a lot of uh, suffering because of that, uh, could be, they think, uh, just one of these prophets of old, these prophets that uh, would, would do these incredible miracles, but more so what their job was as prophets was to tell God's words of truth to those in charge, and it usually was, um, you know, not very good for their, their lifestyle. <laughs> it was a bad time for them. These guys had hard lives. Uh, or it could be John the Baptist, who really has been then, in that time, was their modern version of that as he was speaking out to Herodias and to Herod Antipas of their life. So they ask, they wonder, who is this Jesus? Now, C.S. Lewis popularized this, this argument about who is Jesus. Well, we don't think it's one of these prophets because people want to say, well, these prophets are—Jesus was like a prophet, or he was a, a good teacher, or he's a good person. But Jesus, however, has to be either Lord, liar, or lunatic because of the claims that Jesus made about himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I and the Father are one. I forgive your sins, Jesus says. He does these things that only God should be able to say or do, that he claims to be the Son of God himself. And so in in that case, he's either a crazy person, because only crazy people walk around the street saying, I'm God, right? And, or he's a liar, because if he says he's God and he's not, 
he can't just be a good person or a good teacher. He's got to be a liar. If it's not who he is, and he says it is, he's a liar. Or he is who he says he is. And he is Lord. He is God in the flesh, walking amongst them, showing the authority that he has as he does all the things that we see him do in these stories that we've looked at. And we believe that Jesus is that Lord, and that because of that, he's the one worth giving your life for. We see that example here with John the Baptist. And so I'd like for us to continue in the story, because we've got the thing where, you know, it's, it's saying the disciples go out, and the people are wondering who it is, and then Herod wonders that it might be John who he has beheaded. But if we've been reading just all along without stopping every week, you would think to yourself, wait a minute, John's dead? I haven't read that story yet. And so what we do is we flash back. So there's a flashback section in here, and that's what verse 17 is. Okay, so it says, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, uh, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself, now we know through a historian named Josephus, we know that her name was Salome, okay, Salome, Salome, and, uh, that she is the one that is here dancing. The daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced. She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. That's my soap opera voice there, sorry. But verse 25, immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Let that, let that verse kind of sink in because we'll come back and talk about that more. Because of his guests and because of his oaths, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. Flashback over, okay? Now verse 30 goes back into the, the timeline. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and reported to him all that they'd done and taught. And then they go off to a, a quiet place to pray and retreat together. Whew! Okay, so you've got this wild story. And to get your head in that, you know, again, this is one of those moments where if you've been around the Bible for a long time, you need to step back and think about how wild a story is of a guy getting his head chopped off and brought out on a platter and giving it, you know, giving it to a, a girl who gives it to her mom as a present. Okay, these people, again, like I said, are messed up people. This is a dramatic soap opera. And um, what we have is a couple different sorts of characters that I think, too, as we are exploring and trying to find the answers of 
that question of who is Jesus, we can get a glimpse, I think, even more into who Jesus is, almost by contrasting him in some ways to the character that we see in here in Herod, but also in ways that he's similar to John the Baptist. That, and, and so we think of what kind of king is Jesus? If Jesus is king, what kind of king is he compared to Herod himself? And I believe that Jesus is both the servant and the suffering king. And he's the servant king as an opposite to Herod. Because Herod, you see, Herod was the kind of person that was all about himself. Pleasure was Herod's god. Herod was, um, was all about getting what he wanted when he wanted it. And that's what you see with some of these divorces and just marrying people, whoever he wants, no matter how it goes against uh, the law of the scriptures. He does this because that's what he wants. He has these extravagant parties and invites people into his place. And he does this horrible, atrocious thing of putting John the Baptist to death because of how it makes him look, because of his reputation, because of he doesn't want to look bad or be awkward or look like he can't kind of keep up his rep in front of these people. And, you know, it says he doesn't even really want to kill John the Baptist, but he does it because of wanting to look good for his friends. He was self-preserving. He was self-focused. And then you see Jesus and how Jesus is so different than that. That Jesus came, and Jesus came to do the will of his Father. Jesus was not about self. Jesus was about serving others. And Jesus was about the mission that he was on from the Father. To reveal himself to the world and then to accomplish the work that he does on the cross. You know, I think sometimes we can hear information about Jesus and be interested in it. We're interested in the story. We're interested in the, the message. We respect the message, but we don't really want to be transformed by the message. We don't want to ha actually have our lives have to be different than the way our lives are now. We, we like the idea of John the Baptist's message of repentance. And we think it's for the people that are like Herod or kind of doing those sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of sins out there. But we don't think that, well, maybe that message of repentance could possibly be for me. Maybe the way that I'm patterning my life isn't the way a disciple or a follower of Jesus should be patterning their life. That our life can often be self-focused and self-preserving and about what we get rather than what we can give. And especially, maybe our lives aren't about the mission that Jesus says that his life is about. What I love about uh, what, what, how Jesus is described in the scriptures is this in Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man, which is a radical name of who Jesus is as, the, as very God himself, okay? The Son of Man did not come to be served, he says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That that's what Jesus was about. Jesus, as God himself, that could have you know, just lived this, maybe the rest of eternity in heaven, not having to come and live upon this earth with the, the struggles and suffering that we might go through, came and lived on this earth and, and, and lived the life that we would have to live and have similar kind of pains and struggles that we would have to have. And he came into that and didn't come and just 
like, I'm God here, now serve me and bow before me, people. He came and then served others. And then ultimately came to give his life as a ransom for many. I love a verse like this that's the gospel in just one line, right? This is who Jesus is. Jesus came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. He gave his life to pay the price that, that we owed. The price of our sin is the price of death and separation from God. And he came to pay that for us through the giving of his life. And, um, you know, Jesus also came not just as a servant, but as we've just been saying, as a suffering king. Pretty similar in this way, I think. More similar, obviously, to John the Baptist when you think about the kind of king that Jesus was. John the Baptist, I mean, he came and you think about these famous people in the Bible, you think, wow, I'd want to be like John the Baptist, right? Ah, yes, I'd want to be known. I'd want to be able to, that my ministry had this impact that was known for thousands of years. Well, remember, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, wore some sort of weird furs and skins and stuff like that for his clothing, ate insects and, you know, just kind of had terrible food life. (laughs) And preached a message to people that was very unpopular. Uh, People didn't like that to hear that message, a message of repentance, of turning from sin, of turning from the things that you were living. And I think for a lot of them, again, even more so, it was living life uh, like really in a way that was about self and about not really what it means to turn from self into following fully what Jesus has for you. Pete, that was very unpopular. And he also told the, the king of this region and his wife that they were in sin and breaking the law of God. That gets him thrown in prison and ultimately has his head on a platter. Okay, wow, that's discipleship, right? That's, that's a suffering that, that I think really these prophets and true disciples of Jesus at times have to go through. And Jesus suffered. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to live on this earth. And ultimately then went upon that cross and suffered. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was whipped and scourged. He he was crucified and died. That's what Jesus went through as that suffering king. That is who Jesus is. And then what he calls us to here in Mark 8, which we'll get to in a little bit. Mark 8, 34 to 35, he says... If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So that's especially what I'm talking about when we think of this life that we have. What could be our best life? What is our best life here on this earth? You know, and it's so easy for us to think about our best life is, it's all of those, all of our needs being met, being comfortable, you know, maybe having wealth or money and all of that. But no, Jesus says that is not it. Your best life is to lose your life for his sake, and then you will save it. But it also says for the gospel's sake, that the good news of Jesus would be going out to those who need to hear the beautiful message of his grace and love and mercy for them. And that call for, for people to receive Christ and salvation and then be welcomed into this family of people who follow Jesus together. 
That's the thing. We lose our life. We give up of ourselves. We give up of the things that we want. We give up of our preferences. We give up of having a comfortable life because we care about Jesus and we care about the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel. And then in that, we actually, in this strange way, will get the best life in that. That is the best life. That is the most significance that we can bring, that we can have in our lives. And sometimes that does involve, like John the Baptist and others, the giving of our very lives, our actual life and breath. Sometimes it's different than that. This young lady, though, was one that did give it all. Her name was Kayla Mueller. She was from Prescott, Arizona, actually, this young lady, um, who, with Doctors Without Borders, went uh, during the time is like just a few years ago when ISIS was kind of rising to power, she went uh, with Doctors Without Borders to Turkey and then was going to head into Syria. Her friend said to her, Kayla, you don't have to do this. You don't have to risk this. You don't have to risk your life for these people. But she decided with two others to go in anyway, and they went into Syria, and she got kidnapped by ISIS as they were serving and helping the people. And she was imprisoned um, by this guy named Abu um, al-Baghdadi, who is, like, his nickname was Jihadi John, because he had beheaded ten people. And this guy is the one that's running this prison that she is held in. It's this young girl who believes in Jesus, who is serving people. And she's in there, and she's being tortured. And she's sexually assaulted, and she has all these just horrible things happen to her. In the midst of that, other people who had actually ended up getting out were saying how much this young woman was serving and trying to help other people while in that area. And even one time uh, that Jihadi John brought in another prisoner and said, hey, you should be smart like Kayla because Kayla converted to Islam. And she shouted out, no, I didn't. And the person couldn't believe that she was willing to shout out, no, I didn't, to Jihadi John because this guy was one of the most dangerous people in the world. And it turned out that as she was continuing to try and help people, there was a a couple of Yazidi girls that were also in this this prison. And there came a point where the three of them had an opening, a, a chance that they could escape. And Kayla said to them, You go. I'll stay. My white American appearance will will get us noticed and get you caught. You go. And these girls escaped. Kayla stayed. They actually made it. She was executed shortly thereafter. So this young woman who stood up for Christ, who was willing to serve in places that she knew she could risk her very life, she was still willing to go and she was willing to do it and she was willing to sacrifice her life and breath, you know, even to help save these other young women. Because of this, because Jesus is the one worth giving your life for. That's who Jesus is. And it might be that you give your very life, but it also might be that you give each day of living your life for him. That's far more likely. It's far more likely that we'll make choices each day in how we live for Jesus than having to actually be threatened with death for Jesus. And so he's the one worth giving each day of your life for. I wanted to invite up a friend of ours, Sandra Tijan. Okay, Sandra, come on up. She sings with us. She's amazing. Yeah, as she's making her way up, let's just give her a welcome, Sandra. 
Sandra is one that I wanted to come and, and share about this just because um, her story is interesting, but also, uh, welcome, Sandra. Uh, you. you know, Sandra is also one of these most passionate people, I feel like, for Jesus that I know. And so could you just begin by just kind of sharing with us a little bit of how you came to, to know the Lord and some of the beginnings of your story? Yeah. So I was born and raised as a Christian. But then, as a little girl, we will go to church because we have to. Yeah, where were you living at the time? In Sierra Leone. That's Sierra Leone. Was born. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Born in, in the third world country, yeah. And so, um, as a teenager, by 10th grade, I decided to give my life to Christ. And that's when I really had that relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And then, um, we had a war. Yeah. And so, Tijan was my fiancé then. So, he moved me to Gambia. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, that's the beginnings of your story, and there's so much, like, I mean, we could sit here, and I feel like we've talked more, and there's just, like, layer upon layer, but, um, you know, you're up here, we see you sing, and you just have this passion for God, and I know, and people even ask you things, like, why do you serve in so many areas in the church? Why do you serve God, you know, with so much of your life? How do you answer that question? And I know some of your story helps okay. answer that. So when Tijan moved me to Gambia, I found myself um, in a church that was very, very um, into the business of doing God's work, like doing it with no joke and all that. <laughs> then um, Tijan called me one day after we had met in London, and he said to me, we're not meant for each other. Then I was like in my 25, 26, he was my fiancé engaged in everything. Mm -hmm. And I cried. I'm like, Wow, because you're doing God's work, you're doing all this thing, everybody in church knows about him, and I felt like that was kind of like a humiliation. So his brother, who was a Muslim, now giving his life to Christ, because I was taking him to church, started talking to him and said, no, you have, and I told him, no, stop, it's okay. So that week, the Saturday, I decided that I was just going to spend time with God, and God gave me a scripture that I didn't really know by then, um, John three twenty seven, and said, a man receiveth nothing unless it be given to him from heaven. So I'm like, okay. So after that day, I said to myself, I'm never going to trust anybody. I'm going to just trust God. So there was kind of like a shift. I was a Christian, but then now it's like there's nothing to trust, mm. only God. So I started doing as much as I could do. Um, Serving God, because I think um, as a leader in the church, everybody was looking to see what was going to happen to me as well. Yeah. Because it could go either way. They're like, oh, I serve God, but then where is he? Hmm. And so I, from that day on, I tell people that serving God comes with a lot of things. You tell him, oh, God, use me. But it's going to be humiliation, hmm. you know, pain, so many things. I can stand here and say, like, he saved me from war. You know, I, I love that story because... I went through something similar, but mine is different because God saved me during the war. Mm -hmm. Rebels will come. My house was like two minutes from the state house and three minutes from the house of parliament. And when the rebels came in, they wanted girls mm -hmm. and they were taking them. You know, my number was 41 from number one. They would take every single girl, rape them or kill them. And they came to my house, I walked them through, and they left. Wow. So it's a lot of things that God has done, and I just say that it's not worth it, just serve him, that's it. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. That you have this, uh, 
I just want to bring, like, at the end of all of your emails and stuff, you have this line that you write on it. Will you tell us what that line is? Oh, my Sorry. meat is to do, John 4, 34, my meat is to do the will of the Father and finish his work. Yeah. So my attitude has always been, um, I have to do wherever I find myself, I have to do it and do it well. I am not going to focus on, hey, what this person is going to say, oh, you're a Christian, why do you do that? I have to try not to just fit in the world, but to be an example to the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that, though. My meat, my meat, my nourishment, like everything I get, but it's like the hearty one, you know, that yeah. my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. And she's just constantly reminding herself of that. And so I love that um, you've said to me, too, before, of just like if, you know, if God's given me my life. I, why, yeah, why wouldn't I do it? Just serve him. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. And that's why with me, I constantly pray almost on a daily basis that God will help me, that I will do his will and do it well, but not just, hey, okay, I'm going to do it, but do it and do it with all my passion, with all my strength yeah. and all that I have in me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, that's the thing. I think we... It's, it's so easy for us, I think, to be able to even hear these stories or read these stories about someone like Kayla, who seems very far away. Um, and Sandra, these things happen, it seems very far away, but it's just like part of our family here. It's just part of our family here. And for all of us, no matter what we've been through in this life, we have been given our lives by God. We've been given them. Every breath, every moment that we have is given by God. And so I think it should be the same for all of us, that then my next step is obvious. It would be to serve him. It would be to give him all of my life, that it's worth giving my life over to him. Uh, I think that when we think of this story and we look into this story of, of Herod and of John the Baptist and all of what's happening in it, part of me needs to, to look at that and think of who am I more like in this story? Because I think we'd really like to be more like John the Baptist. But in Orange County, California, America, it's pretty easy to be more like Herod. For our lives to be more about ourself. More about what we get. More about our personal pleasure and preferences and getting things the way we want in our comforts. Than it really is about a life of self-denial and giving over to God. And I don't say that, I say that for myself as well, very, very much, not just to, to kind of put that on you. Because I think this too is, I think, um, I think this is pretty true for me in a struggling kind of way as well, that we are far more susceptible to deny Christ over losing social status or to avoid awkwardness than we are to deny Christ with the threat of our lives being taken. I think probably most of all of us, if we were a gun to our head and it was that kind of that crazy dramatic moment and someone says, you know, renounce Jesus right now, we'd stand strong and probably lose our lives. But it's easier in a moment when we have an opportunity to talk about Jesus to avoid it in this kind of just way of just thinking like, well, I think that relationship could get awkward or I don't know if I want to talk about religion or, you know, that kind of a moment. I think that's actually a bigger temptation for many of us. And so I want us to kind of think through that of what does, you know, what is God doing in us in that? And what does he want to do in us? 
Because I think we all need to take some, some steps of courage. Some steps of courage. That These steps of courage are going to be completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We need the Holy Spirit's power in our life. We can't do this, just kind of drum it up ourselves. We also know that we are being given the grace of Jesus as we struggle and as we kind of work towards this, but through him and his work in our lives. But we take some steps of courage towards this kind of life, a life of self-denial, a life of commitment, a life of sacrifice, a life that says, I want to be after what God wants my life to be after, and not just what I want my life to be after. And if it means I'll lose my very life, so be it. If it means I lose my social status with my friends, if it means that I don't get everything the way that I think I should be deserving to get things, then so be it. Because my life is after Jesus, and my life is after the good news of Jesus, and seeing that go forth. That my meat is to do the will of him who sent, you know, who has saved me. That's that, that beautiful moment that we are called into. So I want to have us, we're going to sing a song now, but it's going to be a little more reflective moment. It's a song, I Surrender All. Uh, this is a song I, I've heard referred to, I refer to as the time when the most people lie during church. When they sing, I surrender all. If you understand my point with that. It should be maybe, I surrender some. I surrender some. You know? Like, and that's, that's the struggle, right? That we want to surrender all. But this is what we can see as the beautiful picture that God is giving us of what can be. And what our heart should be. We're singing these words now of saying, Lord, this is who I want to be. This is who you, through your Spirit's power, can make me. And I need you and your grace to help me to surrender all to you because you gave all for me. Let's sing this together now and reflect. All to Jesus I surrender
So as we continue to, to worship, as we sing a few more songs, um, we want you to know that you're able to come and to receive prayer. We'll have people at the prayer points uh, that want to pray with you. And maybe to pray about this, right? To pray that, Lord, I want to surrender all. Lord, it's hard for me to surrender all. Please help give me the strength to do that, to give my life fully over to you, Jesus. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus. You haven't begun to follow Jesus with your life. And we would want to call you up and say, we want to pray with you and help you to do that. Come forward for prayer if you want to receive that free gift of salvation and then to live a life of following Jesus. And maybe just whatever else is on your heart that you just need prayer for in your life, please come forward. There's communion stations available around the room, and as we examine ourselves here and now, we prepare ourselves to go and then remember what Jesus did and that that grace was not free. That grace had a great cost to Jesus as he gave his life, shed his blood for you and I. And so I'd like for us just to stand. I'm going to pray for us and we begin to worship and come forward and sing. Heavenly Father, we give this time to you. We surrender these moments to you as we want to learn to surrender our lives to you. God, I pray that you'd be moving in each one of us in the unique and particular ways that you want each of us to repent, Lord, and each of us to follow you fully with our lives, God. Lord, may you be glorified in this worship. May this time of worship have nothing to do with us and what we get out of it. But may it be holy what we give to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in every stand, no tongue can bid me thence depart, no tongue can bid me.
stars they went. Morning sun was day. The Savior of the world was falling. His body on the cross. His blood poured out the cross. The weight of every curse upon
Amen. And I think it's beautiful for us to worship in this way together and to bring our burdens, to bring our, uh, the things that we've been holding back from God before him. And we do that in these moments. We do that in, in other moments of worship. We want to continue to invite you into these, these times where we have of even more extended times to worship and to just to have these times of surrender over to God. A couple of those are, one is this Thursday. We have our last Thursday night worship before a summer break. Uh, if you'd want to come this Thursday night of just an extended time of, of worship to God where you can continue to surrender all to Him in that way. And then also next Sunday, we have our Sunday sing at 4 o'clock in the chapel. Another time where we have to come and to have an extended time of worship to God. We invite you into either one of those uh, opportunities and invite you to continue to, to consider what is God doing in your heart with this message? What is, in that John the Baptist kind of way, what is God calling you into repentance of? And how can he give you the power then to live each day completely and fully for him as a follower of Jesus? I think it's interesting that this flashback is right in the middle of two uh, it's surrounded by two parts that are Jesus sending out the disciples to go and preach and kind of live this out, what they've been learning, and then also them coming back and then kind of regathering and talking about it. And in the middle of that, he throws this chunk in there that, that discipleship, following Jesus, could cost you your very life. And it's like, this is what it really means to be a disciple. It's pretty cool to preach and to do these miracles and all of that. But living a life of sacrifice for him, that's what, it's, that's what it's about. And what's so hard to understand in our worldly sense is that that is our best life. Our best life is a life following Jesus. And it's best because of who we follow, that we follow Jesus. So let me pray for us and uh, pray for us as we leave this place to, to live it out fully. Heavenly Father, I pray... For each one here, myself included, that as we go out from here, Lord, that we would um, recognize the opportunities that we have to live for you each moment, Lord. In those moments in our family, in those moments in our homes, in those moments at work or school, wherever that plays out, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us what we need in each moment to live for you. To not deny you in the small moments or the big moments. But we would live our lives fully for you because you gave all for us. We are a grateful people. I pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance to you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go. Yeah, thank you.